Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. And we're going to jump into the Second World War. It's Daniel 11, 40-45, and it's going to describe how the Antichrist ends up taking power and his rise. As you remember, to refresh your mind, there has been a ten-league confederation that has formed. It's come out of a one-world government that we're going to see form, probably. It's going to break up into ten leagues, controlling the entire planet, and that ten-league confederation is what goes through the, tribu- the first part of the tribulation. Okay. At the same time, the horror Babylon, which we studied last week, rides upon its back. It's supported by the political system, the religious system is, and they're going through the tribulation. We talked about the religious system has the power to execute people if they don't comply with the religion of the Whore of Babylon. Okay, so what ends up happening is this goes through the whole first half of the tribulation, and the Antichrist is on the scene, but he has not taken power. He's there, he's functioning, but he has not taken over the world at this point in time. So Daniel predicts in Daniel 7 that the little horn pops up among the ten. Uh, the ten horns, which is the ten league confederation. He's going to pop up out of nowhere. So what ends up happening, as he pops up, they go to war against him. This ten league confederation actually go to war against him. And guess where the attack is centered? Israel. Now, here's the question. Why would a ten-league confederation attack Israel and he have to go in there to rescue Israel? What has happened? He's in a covenant with Israel. He's their protector. So the ten-league confederation attack Israel and he goes to rescue them. He comes right into the glorious land, as you're going to read, to protect them because there's a pincer move happening on Israel. The king of the south is coming up, and the king of the north is coming up, and it's a pincer move to put Israel in the middle, and then the king of the east is coming over to block Israel. There's no way out for Israel. So he comes in to protect Israel. Now, this is interesting. I've told you this before about the false church and the remnant church. The remnant church loves Israel, is pro-Israel, just like we are, right? The false church becomes anti-Semitic. Hates Israel. We've talked about Christ at the checkpoint with uh, Hank Kennegraff and Lynn Hybels and all those wackos who hate Israel. So the majority of the church is replacement theology and is is either neutral towards Israel or or is becoming anti-Semitic. Now, the new anti-Semitism, and I want you to follow me on this, it's not they're going to say we hate the Jews. The new anti-Semitism is we're anti-Zionists. Which means they don't, they don't believe that Israel deserves to be in the land, that they're occupiers, and that they're an apart, apartheid state, and a racist, and things like that. That's the new anti-Semitism in the church. Think about this for a second. Ponder this for a second. The position of the Antichrist will be pro-Israel. He takes up the slack where the church fails. 
Does that blow you away? Because he cuts a deal with them. In this war, he goes in to protect Israel. That's where the war is at. He has to go in there and fight them off because he's in covenant. And then because of that covenant, he is, is, he has sworn to protect them and go into that. Does that not blow you away that the false church is against Israel, but the Antichrist will be for him, for Israel? It's so backwards. It is absolutely so backwards. It's mind boggling. But anyway, this is how it happens. Okay. So let's read this in Daniel 11. 40 through 45. At that time of the end, shall the king of the south, and that's a confederacy of uh, one of the, the, the kingdoms, and that probably goes into Africa, from Egypt into Africa, okay, contend with him. And the king of the north, the king of the north was typically referring to Syria, but this is obviously a bigger area. It's north of Israel. It could inter- include Turkey, all the way up above Israel, okay, that confederation, whatever that confederation will be of shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. So obviously they're in the the, the Mediterranean as well. And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass through. This is talking about the Antichrist. They're going to war. He shall enter also into the glorious land. That's Israel. And many countries shall be overthrown. So he, he starts overtaking them. He's going to overtake this king of the south and, uh, sorry, yeah, the king of the south, king of the north, and king of the east. But notice this. But these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom, Moab, and the chief children of Ammon. The Antichrist will take over many countries in this war, but he will not take over those three areas. What are those three areas? What's that? Yes, right. Remnant goes to Edom. So if you take Edom, Moab, and Amnon, Amnon's in the north, Moab's in the center, and, and Edom's in the south, guess what country you're talking about? It's Jordan. For some reason, and I think you might know it already, he can't take Jordan. He's taken all these other countries. King of the north would include Syria and anything above Israel. King of the south, that's, that's Egypt, Libya, south, Somalia, all those places. Ethiopia, he can take them, but he cannot take Jordan. Of all places, he cannot take Jordan. He can't set his hooks in there. Does that blow you away? There's a reason for it. He shall stretch forth his hand upon all, also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So he's going to take them. But he shall, he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. So he takes them as their plunder. And their money, by the way. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. We'll talk about that later. He hears things going on back at headquarters. Back at His headquarters is Babylon, by the way. He hears noises and stuff, rumblings going on back there. Because guess what? When we study Babylon, someone is attacking Babylon while he's in Israel. And he's not there to defend his headquarters. So he hears the news about it. He can't do anything about it because he's in a battle right now in the middle of this. He can't, he can't leave. And he shall go forth with great fear to destroy and to utterly sweep away many. And he does. He shall plant the tents of his palace. The tents is a military tent, by the way. Between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. 
It should be seas, actually, and the seas are between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea. The glorious holy mountain is what? Zion, the, mount of, the, the, uh, the temple mount. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. Did you see that little caveat on the end of it? He dies. He is killed in this battle, according to Daniel. This is where he dies. And you say, wait, wait, I thought the Antichrist goes all the way to the end. Yeah, I know. But he dies here. He physically dies as a human being at this point. So in this second worldwide conflict, things will happen but the, uh, and with the king of the north, king of the south, and the kings of the east. He actually takes them later on. But he dies here. He is killed. Now we have other proof of this from other texts. And if you go to the next page, it's mentioned here in Revelation 13.3. And I saw one of the heads as though it had been smitten unto death. And his death stroke was healed, and the whole earth wandered after the beast. Now, and it says, I saw as though it had been smitten unto death. Don't take that. It says, well, it was like he died, but he really didn't die. No, 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 no. That is an idiom. That is an idiom that was actually used for Jesus in Revelation 5. I saw the lamb as though it had been, or he had been slaughtered. It's the same idiom. If it's used for Jesus in Revelation 5, and the same idiom is now being used for the Antichrist, it doesn't say in Revelation 5 that Jesus, it looks like like he was slain, but he really didn't die, because we know he did die, yeah? We know he died. So the idiom is stating the Antichrist dies. But notice the next idiom, and his death stroke was healed, but he comes back to life according to Revelation 13. Do you see the counterfeit in him? Do you see what Satan is doing with him? What is he counterfeiting? The resurrection. He is antichrist instead of Christ, as opposed to Christ as well, but instead of. He is copying the resurrection of Messiah. He has already copied the virgin birth, and how did he copy the virgin birth? We, we talked about that. He copied the virgin birth by impregnating a Gentile Roman woman and created the Antichrist who is not fully human. He is half satanic and half human. He is he's a Nephilim. He is not fully human. And I will show you this in another passage in just a second that gives more credence to this. Let's hold off on that, but let's go to what's happening in the atmosphere. What's happening in the heavens? At the same time that this world war is happening and Antichrist is dying, there is a battle that's happening among the angelic forces at the same time. So in Revelation 12, 7 through, 7 through 12, it says this, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels going forth to war with the dragon. The dragon obviously refers to Satan. He's being told as a dragon because... That's um, his fierceness, ferociousness, things like that. And the dragon warred and his angels, and they prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Let's stop right there. By implication, the war happened in heaven. And it's not like it happened in the past when the angels fell. This war is future. So what does it indicate about Satan? 
Right. Even today, he still can go before the throne and dialogue with God. And he does. Job, absolutely. Dialogue with God about Job. He's asked Satan, where where have you been? I've been going to and fro. Have you considered my servant Job? Ah, yes. the, The sin is connected to flesh. No flesh can inherit the kingdom of God. That's that means that flesh can't, but Satan is not flesh. He is spirit. And so the, even though he's corrupted himself, because he is spirit, he can't contaminate it. So he still has access, because this is where it's happening. And when he talked to Job, he was talking with him right in front of him. Notice in this text, it'll also say when he's cast out, that the accuser of the brethren, who accuses day and night before God has been cast out. So what is he doing in heaven? He's accusing us before God. This is an event you will see one day. You will see Satan attack the third abode. Or not the third abode, I'm sorry, the third heaven. When he makes a run on the throne, he makes a run on God and tries to attack it. At the same time as Antichrist is taking, trying to take over the world, He's trying to take over heaven. So there's always a counterpart. Whatever's happening on planet Earth is also happening in the heavenlies. What was happening, remember, in Daniel's day, when he was praying, and, 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 and there was an angelic fight going on between a Gabriel and a prince of Persia. Well, what was happening on Earth was also there was a counterpart of a battle going on. And then Michael has to come and, and help him. And, and in this situation... Now we have a run on the throne, and obviously Michael wins, and he, he's cast out of heaven. And, he, and when it says there's no, there was there, uh, neither was there place found there anymore in heaven. That means he is restricted now; he cannot go there anymore. And it says, and the great dragon was cast down, the old serpent. That's reference to the garden, the dece- deceptiveness, and the temptation that he does. He that is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast down with him. Now, you notice all those terms being used for Satan. Why do you think it's it's being used? Almost every name in the book about Satan is being used right now. The devil, the accuser, uh, Satan, the deceiver. Why is John doing this? So you know exactly who's being cast out. It is not some simple angel. It is him. It is Lucifer. It is the one that fell, the one that was at the garden. It's that same guy. He is the one cast out. So to to your point, and, and that's a very good point, when you read the book of Revelation, it is a survival manual. It's a survival manual for the remnants. I mean, obviously, we're studying here. We're part of the church. We're going to be raptured. We won't be here. But if you were a tribulation saint, this information is vital because it's going to tell you what is about to come right now. Don't, I mean, and for the Jews, think about it. He's referencing the garden. All the Jews know the Old Testament. They know the fall of Adam and Eve. They know about all this. They know about those terms. They know what, what Job dealt with. And they're saying that same one that you guys have read about, Jews, He's coming to you, and I'm restricting him to planet Earth. 
And let's continue to read why why this is important. So it's not just him, it's his demons with him, right? And I heard a great voice in heaven saying this, Now is the salv- come the salvation, and the power and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ, or his Messiah. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, who accuses them before our God day and night. There's the indication that even if we were raptured right now, the first thing we would probably see is right there in front of the throne is Satan himself accusing the believers. Ask yourself, what is he accusing the believers of? What could he possibly make an accusation against a believer who has the blood of Christ applied to them? What is he saying? This plays into sin. The accuser of the brethren cannot take your salvation, but he accuses you before God when you are in sin. That's what he's using it against you. And he is saying to them, particularly Christians who have unconfessed sin are set up to be disciplined. The way you get yourself out of discipline from the spanking is you confess your sin. That's why you keep short accounts with God. You want, and as you keep short accounts, John says the blood of Christ continually washes you. Even the sins of ignorance, if you confess, confess, confess. The minute a Christian stops confessing and gets himself out of fellowship, guess what the accuser is saying to God? By law, you must discipline him. It is in your word, you must discipline him. When are you going to discipline him? And that's the accusation, because he's, un- he's not confessing. He's not confessing. You must do something. And what is God obligated to do? He says, according to Hebrews 12, I will discipline you. And so, that's the issue. That's what the accusation is against. It's not about your salvation. He can't, he can't, what can he argue with that? Because that's what Christ did for you. But what he can argue against is your behavior, your obedience. And says, look at that one. You need to get him. You need to discipline him. And he does it day and night. Day and night. He never gets tired of doing it. Okay, so he continues on. He says this. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they loved not their life even unto death. He's talking about the believers seeing this and they're rejoicing in heaven because he is cast down, and they overcame him by Christ. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and ye that dwell in them. That's us. That'll be us. But look at this. Look at the oive in the in in the in this warning. Woe for the earth and for the sea, because the devil is gone down unto you, having great wrath, knowing that he had but a short time. And to be specific, three and a half years left to wreak havoc. God is confining him to planet Earth. He cannot go anywhere else. And so guess what he's going to do? He's going to tear up Jack because he's got three and a half years to prevent the second coming. Stop right there and think. How is he going to prevent the second coming? Israel's the key. 
if that's why Israelology is so important, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but when you go outside our confines and you go to these churches that don't think about Israel, have replacement theology, they don't even understand why the second coming needs to happen. The second coming is predicated on Israel's repentance, Israel's salvation, national salvation. Guess what? If Satan can destroy every Jew on the planet, then he knows that Christ can't fulfill his promises for coming for him. Because they can't say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He told them, you won't see me until you say that. But what if there's no Jew to say it? I know what I'll do. If I'm confined to the earth, and this is where you put me, I'll wipe out every Jew on this planet. That's why he wants Israel to know the game is at stake here. Everything's going on. It, it continues to be anti-Semitic, worse and worse. I mean, Europe already is bad. And now if you're, if you're talking about Muslims, they hate the Jews. They call them pigs and, and things like that. That's, that's very disappointing. And, and I hope you guys understand that's being used because this spirit of lawlessness is coming in the world. And it's anti-Semitic. Um, and you're even seeing churches get this way. So, yikes. So, so if you see all that you, ta- you, you start connecting dots, it's all about Israel. Because the church is not here. The church has been raptured. So God is being very clear with Israel. Israel, do you understand me? Do you understand me, Israel? You've got three and a half more years to get this right. And if you don't, you're going to be slaughtered by this guy. And what does Zechariah uh, 13 say? He slaughters two-thirds of them. Two-thirds of Israel will die at his hand. Okay, one more thing, and then we'll, we'll take a break. The next page on 243. He's dead. War has happened in heaven. At the same time, Satan has been cast and his demons to planet Earth. They are confined here. Okay? To wreak havoc. And then at this point, the resurrection of the Antichrist. And I saw one of his heads as though it had been smitten, there's the idiom again, unto death. And his death stroke was healed, and the whole earth wandered after the beast. Okay, so there's the resurrection we talked about. And 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 with that, he now is alive. Okay, so that's going to do something. So if you go to the next page... It's going to talk a little bit more about this and give some more details about this. In Daniel 7.24, and when it says the three kings killed, seven submit, it talks a little bit more about this in detail. And as for the ten horns, out of this kingdom shall ten kings arise. He's talking about the ten league confederation. And another arise after after them. And he shall be diverse from the former, and he shall put down three kings. So what ends up happening is once he's resurrected, he goes back into this war and takes those kings, the king of the north, the king of the south, and then the kings of the east. Now, Revelation 17 adds more details to this. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings, the ten league confederation, who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour, for basically a short time. These have one mind, and they give their power and authority unto the beast. So basically what ends up happening is, as he, after he comes back to life, he takes those three down, and then the rest of the other seven submit to him. Okay? I, I have a hard time 
understanding what's going on here. I don't know. There's no doubt he's alive. But what what is alive, I don't know. Beast. Yeah. It, it does. And if if you turn to page, the next page over, page 245, I want you to go down. And I, I'm going to jump ahead. I'm not going to talk about the two witnesses, but I want you to see something about the two witnesses real quick to, to add to your point, Dave. And when they shall have finished their testimony, talking about the, uh, the the witnesses, right? The beast that comes up out of the abyss shall make war with them. Did you see that phrase? It's all that phrase is also in Revelation 17. The beast was resurrected out of the abyss, which is a red flag. No human beings. Go to the abyss. Only demons go to the abyss. Dead humans who are unregenerate go to Hades, or we call it hell. But they go to the, the, the unregenerate compartment of Sheol, and that's where they stay until the great white throne judgment. It specifically tells you he does not come from Hades when he's resurrected. He comes from the Abuso. which tells you he ain't fully human. You don't come from that area unless you're demonic. And <laughs> look where he comes from. So to your point, I don't know what's going on, Dave. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have a conjecture that it's, it's demonic, it's satanic. He comes out of an area that only demons come out of. I don't know if his human soul is in it. I don't know what's going on there, but he is back to life. And that's where I, that's where my, my mind starts going on tilt. I don't know how to explain it. Because, what is he? I mean, I, we, you know, I have a hard time even understanding how the Nephilim existed and what, and there's no salvation for Nephilim, obviously. But they're half human, they're hybrids, half human, half demons. What's that? But they procreated. So, I don't know. If there's something going on here that's foreign to, that I understand, but he comes back to life. And the world thinks he's come back to life, whether it's demonically inspired body and uses his body, but he's alive, which is a counterfeit resurrection. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is the Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.